Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. And so uh, if I were to just ask you this morning, do you have a good running list of things for which you are joyful? Would you be able to say yes, honestly? Not just in church. And then if the people that I, if I were to ask the people that you live with, <laughs> does your life show any evidence that you have a good running list of things that are joyful? Because that's a different question, isn't it? And then if I were to say to you, uh, give me five minutes on one of two topics. Your troubles are your joys. Which would you be better prepared to talk about? Okay, if I said 30 minutes. Some of us could fill some time with one or the other. And then if I were to ask you this question, if your life was full of joy, would you know it? Would you recognize it? Would you see it? Would you note it? Because it seems to me that there is a biblical idea going on, and that is, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So, so the idea that our lives are ever going to be the space where there are no troubles to think about or focus on or to talk about, is false. That's just not going to happen. But in the midst of whatever is going on, there is a reason to be joyful. There's a reason to focus on something else. And as the people of God, of all people, we ought to be people that feel joyful. I mean, who has a better reason to feel joyful in the midst of trouble than you and me? That was a rousing, energetic response. I know the people online are thoroughly blessed right now. So we're thinking about this reality. We've talked a, a few months ago, we did a whole series out of the book of Isaiah, and we, we just talked about the complexity of the writing. Uh, it's a profound piece of work. And uh, the first 39 chapters deal with warnings about what might happen and how to get your life straightened out and warnings specifically to Israel, uh, the great calling of Isaiah in chapter 6 and, and the unfolding of the early servant songs as we start to anticipate the Messiah. We start to find out incredible information about what this Messiah will ultimately look like. And then those middle chapters, 40 through uh, uh, 54, in which we just are talking about comfort. Chapter 40 opens, comfort, comfort my people. We've had all these chapters of warning, and now we have this section of just comfort. You know, great, great passages in there. The great servant song, Isaiah 53, the you know, uh, Isaiah 40, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the God, bound up with wings as eagles run. That's all chapter 40. And then we move then into the final section, 55 uh, on, in which we are talking about the future, really about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and anticipating things that are going to happen. And so it's this very complex Story And it's written in the middle of the exile. It's written as, as the northern kingdom is falling, as Assyria is taking over, as the people are being carried away into exile. So it's, it's not a great happy time in which Isaiah writes. And yet, in the middle of the trouble, there is this invitation constantly to joy. So listen to the writing from Isaiah 55, 
and just kind of sit back in it and enjoy it for a minute. Seek the Lord while he may be found. By the way, there's some hints in here about joy and where it comes from and what our attitude and perspective might want to be if we're ever going to get to the joyful part. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will go the juniper, instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, an everlasting sign that will endure forever. So I think immediately you're just like, well, Isaiah's talking about the fact that we're in hard times, but we're going to go out in joy anyway. And we're going to go out in joy for a, a few reasons. We're going to go out in joy because whatever we see, God's ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Let's stop right there for a minute. <laughs> I think everyone of us need to breathe that in. I am not God. I am not in charge. I am not the smartest person in the room. I am not the wisest person I know, though sometimes I think I am. I believe a lot of things, but I don't know much. And I will never experience joy if I believe I am in charge of the world. I will never experience joy if I believe I'm in charge of my family. I'll never experience joy if I believe I'm in charge of my relationships, or my finances, or my job, or my future, or my health. I will not be able to experience joy. Joy begins in this confession that his ways are higher, that I, I am not seeing everything that I need to see. Unless we change and become like little children, we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean being childish. It means being childlike. Childishness comes from arrogance. Wow. Childlikeness is humility. Trusting our Father trusting that someone is taking care of us and knows what's going on and, 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 and we don't have to know everything or understand everything but we respond because we have one Father, one Lord, one faith, one baptism that unites all of us together so we treat one another with honor even when people don't agree with us or think like we think come on people an amen or two I know you got a mask on but you can say amen thank you better it's better so this joy that we are a part of that we are invited to share in matters a great deal so what is joy if I were to say to you let's define it let's figure it out I, I came across this article uh, by a designer actually her name's Ingrid Lee and she talks about joy and uh, I'm gonna do a couple of little articles here that I think are fun uh, they're kind of convicting and and sometimes they're a little silly but we're like that aren't we so uh, here you go. Happiness 
is a broad evaluation of how we feel about our lives over time. That makes macroscopic evaluation of happiness difficult, if not oppressive. How do you feel about your work, your family, your health, and all the rest? Thinking about it too much becomes too much to bear, which only leads to less contentment. In other words, she's saying happiness is is taking this big macro look at your whole life and all the big sweeping things in it and trying to decide if you're happy or not, and just thinking about it depresses you. Amen? She says, to arrive at happiness, we ought to start from the bottom and work our way up by finding or creating moments of joy. Unlike happiness, joy is momentary and small-scale, and it comes from an intense momentary feeling of positive emotions. Because of that, joy is measurable, that we can understand it qualitatively. Something that makes you smile, something that makes you laugh. For example, watching a dog play or feeling the texture of sand pass through your fingers. Joy might be tiny, but it's visceral. It happens in our guts. The moments, the little moments that make us feel more alive are joy. Over time, those small moments are what finally lead us to say we have a happy life. Joy comes very often from encounters with people. Believe it or not. (laughs) People seem to find the same things joyful. Here's a weird thing. Now, this is where the article gets kind of funny, but I want to share it with you. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. Certain things cause people to feel joy. Tree houses. Hot air balloons. Rainbows. Sprinkles. Swimming pools. Soap bubbles. Don't know. Just saying that's what she says. She also says that round things bring more joy than angular things. Pops of color tend to bring people more delight than drab things. Objects in multiple, for some reason, cause us to feel joy. And then she asks this question. If there are simple things that bring us joy, why are they missing from our world? Schools are painted in dour colors, not to mention nursing homes and offices and housing projects. Can you get too much color or whimsy? I don't think we're in any danger of having too many joyful spaces in our world. People tend to fear they get tired of, that they will get tired of bold colors. But actually, they're much more likely to get tired of drab colors. And yet here we are. I mean, most of us are like, well, I'm going to paint the house. I'm going to get a nice shade of off-white. <laughs> Be playing it safe. Don't want to get crazy. I want to have splashes of color because we're like that, aren't we? Somehow we play conservative in so many places in our life where we're invited to feel joy. I came across another article, and in it, it's a story of a young woman who has gone through uh, an incredibly difficult time of depression in her life. Her name is Trilby Johnson, and when she finishes this period of time in her life, She writes about a decision and a choice that she made that helped lead her through this period of depression. Again, it's a little convicting to me. We who are followers of Jesus Christ, who ought to be the most joyful folks on the planet, maybe would have a harder time coming to these conclusions. This is what she said. First of all, where does your compass lead you? 
Does your compass point to struggle and doubt, ill health, with sporadic spurts of happiness and times when you're clinging to hope? Or does your compass point to ease and health and safety and trust and a state of joy that is sustainable? At the opening of the article, she uses an illustration of Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean. She says he comes across this compass and he doesn't really understand it. It doesn't point to true north. And he finally discovers that what the compass does is it leads you towards the desire of your heart. And she asks this question, to what is your compass pointing? If you had a compass and you held it in your hand, what would the desire be to which it points? Is it joy? Trilby said, I'm just going to decide. I just decided in the middle of my depression that I wanted my compass to point to joy, period. In that moment, my life shifted. Things changed dramatically. I knew what joy was, and I knew what it felt like. And as with everything in life, it was about making a choice. Once you make joy your priority, if you choose, it will show up each time without fail. And then she gives ten reasons why you ought to pursue joy and why joy is good for you. These are fun. Number one, joy feels good. Feels better than not being joyful. Amen? Who knew? Who knew? Number two, joy makes you laugh more. And laughter, it is proven, is one of the great medicines both for us psychologically and physically. Amen. Number three, I love this one, joy attracts money. I don't think that's true, but I wish it was. <laughs> but if I was going to write an article I wanted to sell, I'd put that one in there too. <laughs> Number four, and isn't it, it's kind of self-fulfilling, isn't it? Joy is attracting money because I wrote this article and sold it, and someone <laughs> bought it, and here it is. Number four, joy is healthy. Patch Adams, not just a movie, an actual doctor, who found that creating joy in the midst of convalescence, in the midst of people who are sick and fighting to get well, in the hospital environment specifically, that joy is one of the most therapeutic things you can practice with people who are suffering illness, that it actually helps heal your body. Number five, joy makes joy. The more of it you have, the more of it you get. It's pretty true. Number six, joy motivates. She says, I used to think that the opposite of fear was strength or trust. I now believe that the opposite of fear is joy. Fear demotivates us. Joy motivates us. Number eight, joy creates connection. It's fun to connect with people who are joyful, doesn't it? My grandkids are in town. They're joyful. That's fun. I mean, they get joy out of the simplest stuff. I mean, how nice is it to be excited about string cheese? <laughs> Why not? It's clever. It works. It's a good thing. Number seven, joy inspires interest. And then I said number eight, joy is connection. Number nine, joy is freedom. If you want to feel free... Feel joyful. And number 10, joy is our natural state. I think that's a fascinating one. I think that's a fascinating one. Do you pursue joy? That we don't have to work ourselves towards joy, that actually we have an inclination towards joy. That we have to eliminate some things, to not be distracted by some things, to get us back to this place of joy. Nowhere is that more true 
than in our Christian walk. Amen? Amen. This is what Scripture says, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. John 15, 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I see three things that I think uh, matter in this little passage. Number one, joy grows from connection with God. It grows from connection, and and this is what that means. (laughs) When I hear people talk about joy, by the way, how many of you have already tuned me out? Already, I mean, because, you know, you can talk about joy. Ugh. It's going to make me be motivated to try to do something. Ugh. I got to go positive think now. It's what I needed. One more job to go out from church and have to work myself again. The beautiful thing is that's not where joy comes from. Joy doesn't come because you and I work hard to think about positive things. It comes from connection to God. It comes from resting in him resting in what we deeply believe about life not being distracted by the things that draw us away from this truth god loves you he's working for your good he's got the world under control his ways are higher than your ways his thoughts are higher than your thoughts you don't have to figure it all out you don't have to solve it and you don't have to post about it which by the way When was the last time any person changed their perspective by reading a post on social media? The only ones you like to read are the ones that have already confirmed what you already think. And all you're doing is making somebody mad. So maybe our best place to talk about issues might be a different setting where people can talk back and interact and we can learn and grow and change. And we're together, we can practice the humility that we don't know everything, that his ways are. Because joy comes when I settle into this connection with God in which I know he's in control and I'm not. I don't have to fix everything. I don't have to solve everything. I don't even have to understand everything. I know that in all things, God is working for my good. And I can rest there. And I'm not really responsible for fixing the world. I'm going to do my best to fix the world in which I live. I don't live in Washington, D.C., I don't live in Sacramento. I don't live downtown L.A. at City Hall. I'm going to talk about it less. I don't live down at the CDC. I don't live in the WHO. I don't live in any of those places. I live right here with real people who go about their life every day. I want to do my best right here. And I'm going to trust God to do that other stuff because I'm going to stay connected to him. Because joy, the fruit of joy, grows in only one place, according to God's word. I am the vine, and you are the branches. You abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. That's why the Bible is constantly saying, be still and know that I'm God. It doesn't say, get frantic, get frantic, figure it all out, solve it. That last article you read was the be-all to end-all. Now your brain is full of all the truth. 
So go tell everybody. It doesn't say any of that, does it? It says, be still. Know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. So relax. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. And through me, you will bear much fruit. Number two, joy grows when it's nurtured. Good fruit grows when it's nurtured, doesn't it? If I were to just stop and say to you this morning, what fruit is getting nurtured in your life? I mean, what do you really nurture? What do you really take care of? What are you really feeding and, and, and cultivating and trimming out and giving room to grow? What's getting nurtured in your life? And I really believe this sometimes. I really believe that a lot of us don't want to feel joy because joy equates with approval. I don't want to feel joy about that because that means I approve of what's going on. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I'm not going to be joyful about my family because that would make them think that I'm happy with the way they're behaving. And I'm not. I'm not going to be joyful about my job because my job is not what I wanted it to be. And if I feel joyful, they'll never change over there. They're never going to give me the promotion or the raise that I deserve, so I will not feel joyful until they fix what's broken. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. And the Scripture turns that all upside down, and it says, I'll tell you what you ought to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all those other things will be taken care of. But don't we do that? I mean, I'll be personally and honest. I do that. Here's all the things God will need to fix, and then I'll be joyful. Just get on it. You want me to grow some fruitful joy? Fix some things, and then I'll be happy. Which leads us to point number three. Joy grows when pruned. Because I think, you know, we say, God, I just want more joy in my life. And he goes, okay, we're going to have to cut some things out. <laughs> there are going to be some things we're going to need to trim away. Let's start with your attitude. Oh, that's yikes. I mean, I got to give that up? I've been working on this attitude for a while. It's my, <laughs> it's my favorite piece of fruit. <laughs> I mean, what have you grown? Here you go. <laughs> and don't you think we're going to have to choose the fruit? And joy is a fruit that, that we're either going to nurture that fruit and we're going to let some things be pruned away so that we can be joyful. Are we going to hang on to some things that are creating in us other kinds of fruit? And let's be honest. If, I, if we just were really honest with ourselves, or even with the people around us that, that are making the journey with us, we said, what kind of fruit am I growing? Some of us have to face the fact that what we're nurturing and pruning is some bitter fruit instead of some God-given fruit. And we're going to have to let go of some of it. Cynicism, suspicion, attitude. I want to feel joyful. Do we? Do we really want to bear the fruit of joy? Because if we abide in him and he abides in us, we will bear much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. His ways are higher than our ways. In the midst of trouble, we will go out in joy, and the mountains will sing, and the trees will clap their hands. He's not talking to a bunch of people who are having a good day. He's talking to a bunch of people living in exile under the oppression of the Assyrians. Everything they love has been taken away from them. And he says, just be joyful. 
Because your joy isn't about Assyria. It's not about where you live. It's not about who's in control. It's not about any of that. It's about the God you serve. And the God you serve is in charge. And he's going to get you through because he loves you. You're his child. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's always for you. He's never against you. He will in all things work for your good. See, we don't have to make up things to believe and we have to settle in. We don't have to try to be positive. We have to lean back into the things that we deeply believe and have. We just get distracted and forget. Henry Van Dyke is an interesting person. If I were to say to you, when was the hymn Joyful, Joyful written? Most of us would go, oh, well, long time ago. I mean, probably 17th century, 18th century. I mean, that's old stuff. Henry Van Dyke was born in 1867. So, you know, he's a a little, and quite an accomplished human being. Uh, Here's just a few things that Henry Van Dyke accomplished in his life. He became the pastor of Brick Presbyterian Church in New York City. He later became professor of English literature at Princeton. He's the author of a number of books, one that continues to live, uh, especially around Christmas time, called The Other Wise Men. If you haven't read it, you should. It's a great story. He went on to occupy a number of prominent positions in the early 20th century. American ambassador to the Netherlands and Luxembourg. He was the lieutenant commander of the United States Navy Chaplain Corps during World War I. He was the moderator of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, commander of the Legion of Honor, president of the National Institute of Arts and Letters. He was chairman of the committee that compiled the Presbyterian Book of Common Worship. In 1907, Henry Van Dyke was invited to preach at Williams College in Massachusetts, and as he walked around that campus, he had been reading Isaiah 55 that we read earlier, and he was observing the beauty of the mountains and of the setting of that campus, and he went to breakfast with the president of the university. He slid a piece of paper across, and he said, this is a hymn that I wrote this morning. (laughs) It should be sung to Ode to Joy by Beethoven. That's why we think it's older. Later, Henry Van Dyke was asked about the hymn, and this is what he said. Now, this could have been written today, so I want you to hear the words very carefully. These verses are simple expressions of the common Christian feelings and desires in this present time. Hymns of today that may be sung together by people who know the thought of the age are not afraid that any truth of science will destroy religion, or any revolution on earth will overthrow the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, this is a hymn of trust and joy and hope. Did you hear that? See, Henry Van Dyke was writing in the run-up to World War I. And the world was in utter chaos and living in abject fear. And people did not agree on what was happening and what should be done. And they were a little upset at the government. And so Henry Van Dyke wrote these words, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before the opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowering meadow, flashing sea. Singing bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth 
of happy rest. Thou, our Father, Christ, our brother, all who live in thee are thine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us to the joy divine. Mortals, join the happy chorus which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us. Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. Is that true of us? Is it true of you? Tiffany Hammer and Chris Brown are two music writers, worship leaders. They listened to a sermon that their sermon that their pastor preached called The Mystery of Potential, and it was based on the story of Elisha. Maybe you haven't heard this story. Maybe it's not one you're familiar with, but Elisha, after he was buried, uh, there's an incident sometime after his death, and two friends come to bury a friend, and while they're getting ready and preparing to, uh, you know, have their friend buried, uh, some enemies begin to come down upon them, so they decide to hide. And so they take their friend and they toss him in Elisha's tomb. You ever read this story? Anybody read the story? It's in the Bible. <laughs> toss him in Elisha's tomb and they go hide. When their friend hits Elisha's bones, he comes back to life. So when the pastor was telling that story, these two songwriters listening said, you, you wouldn't think dead bones had any miracles left in them, but it looks like maybe they do. And they began to talk about that idea, about when is it too late, <laughs> about when is it time to give up, about when do the troubles finally win out. And they wrote that song we sang earlier, Graves into Gardens. You turn graves into gardens, you turn bones into armies, you're the only one who can. And it's just a praise chorus and a celebration chorus about joy. And it's about a, people who are writing with this idea. <laughs> You're going to have hard times. I mean, do, do you see how this picks up? <laughs> Isaiah's writing in the midst saying, hey, this is a hard time. But there's a place for joy in the middle. You're going to go out in joy. You're going You're to see the mountains sing and the, the trees are going to clap their hands and and he doesn't mean the song the mountains are going to sing. You start hearing the mountains sing, woo. <laughs> what he means is your state of mind, your focus, can cause you to see that the mountains are singing and the trees are clapping their hands. And there is a reason to celebrate. And it's much deeper than a pandemic. It's much bigger than politics. It's much bigger than the United States. It's much bigger than anything else in the world. And I want to remind you of this. The Bible says they will know you are Christians by your love one for another. A new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You don't love the enlightened ones or the ones you believe are enlightened. We love everyone. We are honoring and respectful of other human beings at all times, in all ways. We are not in charge of changing the world. God is. The Holy Spirit is. We're in charge of loving each other. Creating a place where the Holy Spirit can do His best work. <laughs> and that's a place of joy. And in the middle of your life and of your story, of your little story, joy is an environment in which God works best. Relationships thrive and grow. And it's not too late. He turns graves into gardens. 
You, you, you might have somebody dead and gone, and by the power of God, there's still a miracle in them. Tiffany Hammer, she talks about writing the song. She says, it's just a realization that for so many of us, we've had dreams that have died. And maybe we should stop for a minute and recognize that the story of God is one that says, I can bring gardens out of graves. I can turn mourning into dancing. But you're going to have to stay connected and settle in. We're going to close. We're going to sing that song. And I want you to especially focus on this lyric. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. If I were to ask you if you have a good running list of the joys in your life, do you? If I were to say to you, would you be better equipped to talk five minutes about your troubles or five minutes about your joys, which would you be better equipped to talk about? And the third question is this. If you were living a life full of joy, would you know it? Would you know it? God, we give you thanks that you invite us into a place where we celebrate around the fruit of joy. And we recognize that it is fruit. That you're not asking us to dream up a bunch of stuff and come up with a bunch of stuff and focus on positive things, although that might be a piece of it. You're asking us to settle in and to connect to you, to take a deep breath, to be still and know that you are God. So I pray grace over every one of the needs that are represented in this congregation, with those who are online with us, those who will watch in the days ahead. I'm asking you to be fully present in those needs. There are health needs. There's healing that needs to take place. Do that work, we pray. There are relationships that need to be mended. There is hope that needs to be restored. There are dreams that need to be awakened. There are graves that need to be turned into gardens. So we proclaim together, joyful, joyful, we adore you. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher. And so we celebrate. We proclaim the truth and the trust in you. And we together collectively say, you're the only one who can really put joy in our lives. Hear our praise and hear our celebration, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Let's stand as we sing. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.